0: Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a podcast on money, investing, the economy, and why they matter. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 7. It's titled Predicting the Economy and the Investment Markets. Can it be done? I bring it up because last episode, episode 6, we talked about the economy and what it is and, and the growth of the economy, how it's measured. But I, I, there was a, a statistic I shared at the very end. In your typical recession and a recession is when the economy contracts for two or three quarters in a row, the stock market falls over 30% on average. I raise the question, is it possible for an investor to anticipate what is going on with the economy and then adjust their portfolio to avoid those losses? So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about predicting the future. Every investor, as they look out, they look at this impenetrable wall that often seems impenetrable. It's the future. What's going to happen? How? What What individual securities should I buy anticipating what's going to happen in terms of earnings, in terms of development of those companies, in terms of buying an asset class? What, what do I think investment returns are going to be for bonds or for stocks? The future is always out there. And, and it's really easy to look back at trends and say, well, this is what happened. But here's what's going to happen in the future, at least to anticipate. But can one successfully invest based on that and and get the answer right? That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to start with an article that was written in the year 1900. It occurred, it was written in the Ladies' Home Journal. I don't know if that magazine exists, but the author was John Alfred Watkins. Think back, the year 1900, that we just turned over the clock to a new century and there was a lot of excitement because there was a lot of inventions coming along. So he wrote an article titled, What May Happen in the Next 100 Years? And he made, it was an article about predictions and what he thought would happen. Some of the things that he suggested were strawberries would be as big as apples and peas as large as beets. If you think about GMO or genetically modified crops, we're not quite there, but there have been some developments. But we're certainly not eating strawberries as big as apples. He thought mosquitoes and roaches would be exterminated. He thought that we would send packages through pneumatic tubes, so little vacuum tubes like they used to have, at least in my library when I was growing up, they would send messages that way. Or in some of the old office buildings, they would send them in pneumatic tubes. And they thought, well, we'd have this network of pneumatic tubes all around the country. But there was one prediction specifically that I want to talk about. He predicted that the horse would become nearly extinct. And the reason why that's interesting is it, it illustrates one of the fallacies or difficulties in predicting the future. And that is we tend to view the future through the lens of the present. In other words, what's going on now, we we tend to extrapolate that. So. Think about the year nineteen hundreds. The car was, I think, just barely invented, or just certainly was not commonplace by any means. So the primary means of transportation was the bicycle. But within cities, it was it was the horse. It was that was the means of transportation. Now, there were thousands of thousands of horses in major cities. I read one article about New York City and the horses, and you think, well, what do you have with horses? Well, you have horsemen New York. And it would be piled up high all over the city, and it would attract flies, and it would disease, and it would smell, and it was awful, and there's all these horses, all this manure piled all over. If you're writing an article thinking, gosh, and you start to see a car, and your thought is, why would anyone want a horse? And the prediction was, well, horses are dirty, there's too many of them, and they'll become nearly extinct because we'll have other means of, of transportation. Now, in fact, the, it, in the nineteen hundred, there was a great exposition in France, where I think it was equivalent to the World Fair. There, they did some prints, and they showed one of the prints was of a horse, and it, it said the title was in the year two thousand, a curiosity. In other words, horses would be some rare. It was a picture of some kids looking around, looking at this horse, kind of at a museum almost, because it was so rare. That that indicates one of the challenges in predicting the future, because we tend to extrapolate what is going on and, 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 and just sort of to, to into the future. And, and that's kind of how it, it's often done. Now, Nicholas Nassim Taleb was, he wrote the book Anti-Fragile, he wrote The Black Swan, and, and he surmised one of the best ways to predict, we're going to predict something, it's much easier to predict what's not going to change than it is to predict what we think will change in the future. For example, he gave the example of a fork. The fork has been around for 100 years. If we were going to bet on what the fork's going to do over the next 100 years, since it's been around so long, it's more likely that that will still be there. Now, why is that important? Well, one of the things that, in terms of how I invest and and many others invest, when you think, well, what's not going to change? Certainly, there's going to be economic cycles. That's not going to change. That's always going to be there. What's not going to change is human nature, the level of fear and greed in the marketplace. And and how that fear and greed certainly works to the psychological, so the psychology of investors but also impacts valuations you can have bubbles and you have busts that's not just not going to change that's something that's part of our human nature and since markets are made up of humans that's something that's always going to be there so if there are going to be periods where where there are booms where the stock market is booming and or a bull market or a bear market where the stock market's contracting periods when the economy is booming and growing very strongly, so corporate profits are growing, or periods of recession where the economy is contracting. As an investor, you have three choices in terms of what to do about that, in terms of how you view the world and structure the portfolio. And every single professional investor has to ask the same question in terms of what they're going to do. There are three ways to invest. One is to completely ignore the future and just be a, a buy-and-hold investor where you structure your portfolio, you ride the booms up, and you ride the booms down or the bus down. And, and I liken it to riding a roller coaster. You just you, you hang on for dear life and, and not even worry about what's going to happen. You just, you just assume, sort of back to the example of Nicholas Nassim Taleb that I gave, is focus on what's not going to change. And and many investors invest, assuming over the long term, the stock market has increased, it's delivered a positive return. I firmly believe that because it has done so for over 100 years, that it will continue. And so I will ride out every single storm. That's one way to invest. Second way is to actually, I talk about this impenetrable wall, of the future is to actually reach out and make specific predictions of where you think the economy will be in a year, where you think the stock market will be, what companies will do very well. In other words, you're very, very entrenched in predicting specific events, specific outcomes, predicting the future. That's another way of going about it. The third way is how I invest. And and I call it Effectively investing on the leading edge of the present. In other words, react as things happen. In other words, as we knowing the economy, when the economy contracts for several periods in a row, that corporate earnings fall off dramatically, that the stock market falls, then 30% on average. Instead of trying to forecast here's what the economy is gonna be a year from now or six months from now, react as it happens. And, and not completely get out of the market, but adjust portfolio risk based on the level of risk in the market. So when market valuations are high, I have less exposure to stocks. When market valuations are cheap, I will have more. When the economy is slowing down, and I'll, and I'll share in a few minutes how you can tell whether the economy is likely to slow, I'll adjust my portfolio exposure. Now, that's different than predicting what the economy is going to do. Because there's something in behavioral f- finance called confirmation bias. I follow someone on Twitter, and, and I like to follow him. because he says He's a smart investor, but he is also absolutely, absolutely convinced we are in a recession. And th- so his entire lens for viewing the future is based on view, viewing the present as the data comes, because he is so convinced that, that we are in a recession, that every single piece of data, if, if it's positive data, saying the economy is growing, there's always an excuse why it was positive. And if it's a negative data, it confirms his view of the world. Now, that's one way to invest. I would not highly recommend that at all, because it's risky. And as opposed to there is something investors can look at to determine the direction of the economy and adjust their portfolio exposure. There is something that's released every month across the globe. They're called Purchasers' Managers' Indices, or PMIs. And the, the global organization that puts these together is, is Market, M-A-R-K-I-T, there's also one in the U.S., the Institution, Institute of Supply Management. And what they are is surveys. They're comprehensive surveys where they, they interview manufacturers about what they're seeing in their specific marketplace in terms of trends, in terms of employment trends, in terms of inventory, in terms of demand. This is a really interesting survey, and it was just released in the U.S. Where across the globe. It's released at the beginning of the month. And so you kind of get this survey once a month, very comprehensive, across the globe but what's fascinating about it is these surveys are scaled so generally the the common sort of the consensus is and and the providers of these surveys say all right if it's if the number for the particular pmi that month is 50 or higher so I, i think the most recent in the u.s the for the pmi number was i think it was 55 and or 56. And so that would suggest the economy is continuing to grow, and if it's below 50, it's commonly believed that the economy is slowing. What's interesting, though, is the number is not really 50. The, the, if you look at the data in the past, and I've gone back to the, I think to the 1950s, generally speaking, there have been seven recessions. Actually, if you go back to 1970 so that's what, 30, almost 40 years. Since 1970, we've had seven recessions. Every single one of those those recessions, the PMI number, the survey data went below 48. So the number's not 50, it's 48. There have been no false alarms. There's not been an example where the PMI fell below 48, kind of in the 47 or below range, and we have not gone into recession. we was close in 1987 when the stock market crashed. It seemed like the economy was slowing. But that, that's a very consistent survey. Now, the, I mentioned this guy I follow on Twitter, and, and the, the PMI number came out at 56. He's firmly believed we're in a recession. His thing is, well, the markets don't react. It's just survey data. It's meaningless. But it's been so consistent in terms of its ability to predict recessions. Now there's all kinds of data to, to determine whether we're in a recession or not. And and even this particular PMI data isn't foolproof. I mean I, I like I said I would not move completely out of the market based on that that data. On the other hand, I would reduce my risk and reduce my exposure to stocks. Not everybody wants to do that. Some investors just like I said buy and hold Ride the market up, ride the market down. It certainly is easy, easier that way in the sense that the implementation is easier. I'm not so sure psychologically it's easier. If, if, think about how you felt in 2008 if you were a buy-and-hold investor. The, again, you couldn't predict whether the market would ever snap back. It has, fortunately, but at the time portfolios were down 30 40%. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com David. That's linkedin.com David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns, That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts, high-yield cash accounts where your money can earn 11 times the national average, and automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. So when it comes to predicting the economy, the question is, can it be done? And, and, and am I able to, to look out six months and say, we are going to be in a recession? And, and I, I don't think it can be done. I, I look at just in September, for example, the, the central bank in the U.S., the Federal Reserve, released their minutes from 2008. 2008, we were already in a recession. The PMI data reflected that. It was below 50 but the Federal Reserve chairman and the board of the, the, board of the members of the Federal Reserve were, were having their bi monthly meeting, I think. Well, they're having a meeting. And they were discussing what was going on in, in the economy. And even some of the smartest economists in the world weren't convinced. They weren't sure what to do, but they, they weren't actually convinced whether we were in a recession or not. And it turns out we were in one of the deepest recessions, this, well, in the last 100 years, since the Great Depression. So there's a difference between saying we're in a recession or we're predicting a recession is going to happen, and what I'm suggesting is just look at that simple measure of PMI. It's released monthly, it's simple, it's straightforward. It's based on reams of survey data, but it's one number, and as I said, I adjust my portfolio. Based on that number, and if it's not showing a recession, then then I will adjust my risk accordingly. In terms of the stock market, again, can investors predict what's going to happen? Will the market go up? Will the market go down? Which companies? I don't think it could be done successfully. And, and I don't think it's worth paying a manager to, to predict the future because I I used to research money managers, I've visited hundreds of managers over the years, some of the best in the business. The best managers I know are not sitting there trying to predict the future. They're doing exactly what I do. They are reacting as the future unfolds. They are essentially investing on the leading edge of the present, and they're relying on things that don't change. What doesn't change when it comes to investing? Human nature, the level of fear and greed in the market. The ability of investors to bid up valuations very high and the ability of investors to to get fearful to valuations cheap. And so some of the most smartest investors I know just adjust based on they'll buy things that are extremely undervalued where investors are fearful and they'll just wait it out. So they're, they're really, in my mind, the two viable ways to invest is to either buy and hold and recognize you're in for the long term, you're willing to ride that roller coaster up and down or you can adjust your portfolio asset mix you can risk manage based on what's happening now based on valuations in the market based on the where the economy is going as reflected in, in this PMI data is is it above 48 Or is it below 48, and that's specifically related to the U.S.? Although there's global indices that are very similar that you can adjust. And then certainly there's some adjustments that could be made just based on the level of fear and greed. When investors are extremely fearful, that's an attractive time to invest. Where are we today in terms of the stock market? Well, in terms of valuation, we're on the high side. And you could look at a multiple measure. Profit margins are at all-time high. Profits are are very, very high. And the market valuations are certainly above average. That's a risk. In my portfolio, I've adjusted. I've reduced it, Reduced my stock exposure because of that risk. Where are we in terms of the economy? The economy is, it continues to grow. The most recent PMI data suggests that we are not showing a slowing economy. And because of that, I'll have a little more risk based on it. It's like having different different level, levels. Or an analogy I've used is like a traffic light. In my mind, the, the stock market valuations right now, the, it's a red light. It means slow down, be cautious. Whereas the economy is is green in terms of going so that says go and so you can kind of adjust these two levels levels levers based on or your level of stock exposure based on the the valuations based on economic direction and I'll also look at the level of fear and greed in the market which is which is called sentiment now you might be saying david the economy actually contracted in the U.S. in the first quarter, are we not? Is that not the beginning of a recession? Well, I can tell you the PMI data does not suggest that it is. We are not below 48. So if in fact we are in a recession, as my Twitter friend is convinced that we are, it would be the first time that I'm aware as I look back at this data to the 1970s that we've ever had a recession where the PMI data didn't reflect it. Now perhaps if we actually are, then as the survey comes out in July or the beginning of August, it will reflect that. And then I'll adjust my portfolio accordingly. There is one other prediction, How year your prediction that I wanted to share today. And I, I don't know if we're going to actually be able to get to the ramifications of this. But back in the midst of the Great Depression, the famed economist John Maynard Keynes Published a talk, and and he gave a talk, and then it came afterwards in a book. And he felt that one of the reasons that we were there was a recession, or the Great Depression. One of the reasons for the Great Depression was, and, and let me let me quote: He said, "Our discovery of means of economizing the use of labor." Is outrunning the pace at which we can find uses for labor. In other words, because of technology, because of, of increased productivity, he felt that the economy, the companies and, and business had become so productive, they could make everything that the world needed with less and less workers. And so those workers were having less income to buy this stuff. And so it was kind of this downward spiral that we talked about in the last episode, episode six. So, because we we talked about, okay, the economy grows over the long term as population increases, the number of workers, and those workers become more efficient. And and he raised the question, well, what if they're so efficient that they can make everything we need without so many workers? And his prediction was that we would continue to get so much more productive as a society, that the day would come within a hundred years that every worker would be able to work only three to four hours a day. They would be able to live just like Henry David Thoreau lived, as I talked about in episode five, The True Cost of a Thing. He only worked four hours a day, so he could free up his days for poetry and exploring nature. Keynes looked out a hundred years in the year 1930 and said we would get so efficient at making stuff that everyone would be able to work less than four hours. The irony is he was partly correct. He he projected out what income would be, household income, as we continue to go up this upward slope. We've actually reached that number. What he missed was the fact that our needs, not even our needs, our wants would dramatically increase. Our income has gone up, but we've come up with more and more things to buy and and again that's one of the challenges of predicting the future because we extrapolate a trend that's happening today into the present and we assume that 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 will continue but not only will it continue but it will it will have dramatic ramifications which can often be wrong and in his case it was wrong one of the the more interesting questions in in some ways we're at the exact same point we're becoming very efficient again with the use of factory technology with robots? And again, will we be to the point where we can make things so efficiently that we have an excess of workers? That's one of the outstanding questions out, out there. The other question that we won't have time and I'll discuss in a future podcast is, what would it take if we all decided to work only four hours? Could our economy actually succeed what would be the impact on the stock market if we did that? We became so efficient, but we worked less. I'll go ahead in next episode, episode eight. We'll, we'll talk about that because I've given it a lot of thought and how, how, would, how would that actually work? But today's episode was the ability to predict the future. At the end, I don't think it could be done. I think it's more effective to either be a buy and hold investor and ride the roller coaster up and down. I can't do it personally. I'm just not <laughs> wired that way. I am more. I, I am much more comfortable adjusting my portfolio based on what's happening now, living and investing on the leading edge of the present and, and doing risk control that way. So that is episode seven. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's moneyfortherestofus.net. Again, you can also sign up for the insider's guide there. Where you will get show notes sent to you and other things that it didn't cover in the podcast and other insights that I just didn't, didn't get recorded. And, and you'll get a preview of what's going to happen. So I send that out before the podcast hits Apple iTunes or Stitcher or you can get it directly from the website moneyfortherestofus.net. If you have any questions, you can email me at jd at jdavidstein.com or suggestions for future topics. Again, what I've shared today is for education only. I have not considered your specific risk profile. I've not given predictions for the future because I don't do that. And, and that's something to keep in mind that this is just, just for general education. So you can learn and you continue to build on, on your growth. Again, thanks for being here. I'd love it. If, if you'd be willing to leave a review of the podcast on iTunes. You can find it uh, just money for the rest of us. Thanks again.